You can have your seats. Thanks for being here today. Good morning. We are in the book of Exodus and have been the last couple of months walking through this book and looking at the people of Israel and how God has shown himself to not only the nation of Israel, but also to the man Moses over and over and over again. And last week we watched as God delivered the nation of Israel from the hands of Pharaoh and his armies, as God turned the Red Sea into a mega highway and then closed it back again over top of uh, Egypt's armies. And as God uh, crushed them with the force of those waves, he defeated death and evil. And Pastor Nate so brilliantly last week showed us that that Red Sea crossing, that passing through of the Red Sea was really in many ways, the beginning of new life for the nation of Israel, a new freedom that was found outside of Egypt and now in the presence of God and in uh, as he guided them to uh, ultimately where he wanted them to be. And so today I want us to look at a series of about five mini stories uh, in the next couple of chapters of Exodus. Really, this is the journey to Sinai. As the nation of Israel has now left Egypt, God is leading them to a mountain called Sinai where he's going to give them uh, some pretty important uh, commands. We're going to look at that in the coming weeks. But today we see this little kind of um, uh, intermission, if you will, these, these stories in the middle. And as we look at these stories, I want us to look at it from this lens. And that is the lens of if the Red Sea crossing was new life and the beginning of, uh, of a new relationship, uh, then what does the life of a believer look like after we are saved. After we become followers of Jesus, what does it look like for us? And as we look at these stories, I want you to ask yourself, uh, not the question of why would the Israelites do that? <laughs> why would they say that? Why would they have that attitude? But ask yourself the question, why do I have that attitude? Why do I say things like that? Why do I react that same way? And so as we look at this, here's the, the idea that I want us to see today. And that is this, the same grace that saves us from sin and death, the same grace that saved the Israelites from sin and death in Egypt is the same grace that sustains and strengthens us for the journey that God has us on. So let's go ahead and look at Exodus 15 this morning, Exodus 15. And we're going to start in verse 22 of Exodus 15. Picking up here, um, we'll see in verse 22, this is just shortly after the Red Sea crossing. It says there in Exodus 15, 22, and this is, um, there are Bibles there in front of you. If you need to follow along with us this morning in the seat, uh, there in front of you, there should be some Bibles. Page 60 is where we're going to be reading here at Exodus 15. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur, they journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah, which literally means bitter. So here they are three days after this miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. And it didn't take very long for millions of people to get thirsty. Okay. They soon ran out of bottled water. Pretty much they didn't have anything else to drink. And they come to this place, uh, this, this river where they, they finally feel like, okay, now we're going to be able to get what we need. We're going we're gonna to be able to have a drink. And what looked like a blessing was actually bitter. What looked like something that was actually going to be helpful ended up not being helpful at all. Actually, it was very useless. This water that was bitter uh, was not drinkable. 
And so here we see the first opportunity for God to uh, reveal himself, to uh, show his grace to his people and to uh, help them understand that he is the one who is going to sustain them through this journey in the wilderness. And so as we continue reading in verse 24, the people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. The water that was, they thought to be a blessing, ended up being bitter. Now God turned into something that they could use. Last year, after getting my second COVID shot, I was uh, at the, the pharmacy there and they gave me a little goodie bag of, of items in it that I guess was supposed to help you after you had your second shot. They didn't give me anything the first time. Uh, so I don't know what that says, but they did give me a bag of stuff after my second shot. And I was in the, the grocery store afterwards wanting to uh, pick up a few items for the family. And so I was walking to the back of the store and just looked in the bag to kind of see what was there. And I saw a bottle of water. So I grabbed it and... Um, popped open the top is one of those sport cap, you know, tops where you can kind of squeeze it. And so I just squeezed a little bit in my mouth and immediately I realized it wasn't water. And, uh, and so that, that liquid hit the receptors on my tongue and on my mouth and immediately my mouth just went numb because I had put hand sanitizer in my mouth. <laughs> I don't know who puts sport cap bottle lids on hand sanitizer bottles, but apparently someone thought that was a great idea. And a quick glance, man, it sure looked like water. I was thirsty. I needed a drink. And what I thought was going to be a blessing actually turned out to be very, very bitter. My, my wife said that my breath smelled good, I guess, the rest of the night, though. But I mean, that, that is a very unfortunate uh, memory in my mind. But maybe you've also had a distasteful experience in your life. Something uh, maybe that you thought was going to be a good thing ended up not being so great something that you thought was going to be a blessing from the Lord ended up being something of a challenge, something that wasn't so wonderful. Maybe you thought that that promotion that you were looking to get and it was supposed to be a blessing for you and for your family ended up not being all that great. Maybe it was a relationship that was supposed to be a good thing and like the best thing ever in your life, but it actually hasn't been as good as you thought or it's gotten bitter Maybe you moved to Washington or you moved to Renton and you thought, man, this is going to be the place for us. This is where we're going to be able to find all of the things that we've been looking for. And it hasn't quite turned out that way. What you thought was to be a blessing actually has been something bitter. But God in his mercy provided a cure for the people of Israel. He provided something that was going to make this situation and make this bitterness Better And so if we continue reading here uh, in verse 25, uh, we see, so he cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. God showed Moses uh, what needed to be done. So he, he threw it into the water. He threw the tree into the water and the water became drinkable. And here we see God providing a cure. God reminding his people that, hey, I've got, I've got it. I've got the situation that you might be going through right now. I've got this thing that you thought was going to be good, ended up not being so great. I've got it under control. And God, again, reminding his people, uh, three days since the Red Sea, that, hey, I'm, I'm gonna be here for you. I'm gonna be with you throughout this journey. I'll be the one to heal what was previously unusable. I will be able to make that 
better. And God can take that promotion that turned out to be bitter and he can make it better. He can take that relationship that has turned sour and make it sweet. He can take what is a stormy situation in your life and he can make the sun shine again. He can take what has been broken and restore it. That is who God is because he is the same God that sustains and strengthens us. He is the same God who saves us from sin and death. He can take what has been broken and be our healer. That's who God is. That's who we see him here in Exodus 15. As we continue on in the next story, we pick up in, in chapter 16 in verse number one. In chapter 16 and verse number one, the entire Israelite community departed from Elim and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. So this is now a month after leaving Egypt. The people uh, come to this place here and the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Here they are again, right? Pick up where we left off, right? <laughs> Why are we here? What are we doing? The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. So a month after leaving Egypt, hunger begins to set in. Again, millions and millions of people traveling in the wilderness. Uh, they don't have Safeway or QFC. So man, they're running out of supplies. And now they're, they're wishing that they had died in Egypt uh, instead of this dying of hunger here in the wilderness. And as we begin a life, as, we, as you and I begin a life of following Jesus, oftentimes we can be so focused on what is happening right now, right here in front of us, that we forget about what God has already done for us and what he has promised to do for us, right? The God of Abraham, the God of promises that we just sang about, he is the one, he is going to be the one to take care of us as we follow him. And, but we get so focused on the things that we don't have or the things that we can't see or the things that aren't happening the way that we want them to happen. And we forget about a God who loves us and wants to show his grace to us. We miss the fact that God has delivered us and he has directed us to where he has us in this moment for a purpose. The, the subtitle of this series is he draws us out to draw us in. Sometimes he has to use things to get our attention, to get our focus back on him. And here we see uh, that, that hunger was what was getting their attention. Have you ever been so hungry that you actually became hangry? You know what I mean? Like hunger and angry kind of mixed in together. You just, you're, you're just not you when you're hungry, right? You, you become uh, short-tempered or irritable or uh, you, you become quick with people and you're, not, you're just generally not nice to be around, right? When, when you're hangry, man, it's, you better watch out, right? Um, and uh, you're, you're deprived of something that you need like water or food or sleep. It's like, all right, uh, high alert. And that's the, the only thing that matters right now, David, is getting what you need, right? But what about our spiritual lives? Do we have that same attitude when we've gone without spiritual food for too long? Do we become spiritually hangry maybe? And we think, 
you know what? I can't make it on one sermon a week or two sermons a month. I've got to have more food than just that. And I feel like those are the things that we need to remind ourselves of, is that, that God wants to be here for us and he wants to give us what we need. And we, so we, as we continue reading, we'll see that God in his grace again gives the people of Israel, gives us, you and I, what we need to sustain us. Verse number four of chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Here we see a test from God. Not only is God going to provide their need, but he's going to give them a little test too, to see, are they going to actually rely upon me or are they gonna forget about me the, the, the moment I give them what they're, what they're needing again? And so we see a daily test of reliance. They're to go out and gather uh, what God provides. On the, uh, verse number five, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days, setting up the precedent for the Sabbath that uh, you'll read about later on in that chapter. Uh, but here we see God wanting his people to rely in, rely on and rest in him. To understand that it's God who is the one who provides, that gives us what we need. And we either follow his instructions and we benefit. We either do what he tells us to do and we receive the blessing or we disobey his principles and we choose not to receive what he, what he gives us, what he provides. And what I like to see from this little part of this story here is, is this, that God will not always put the bread on the doorstep. It wasn't like God came in the night and he put a little present at each person's tent door and said, okay, here you go. Here's everything you need. But what he did was he asked them to go out and to gather it. Sometimes God gives us the pieces uh, that he wants us to, to use. And he, he, he puts things in our life. He orchestrates events to, to happen in our lives. And then he expects us to put it in a little effort, uh, to put the pieces together, to uh, get the desired outcome for what he wants from us. He gives us the pieces, but sometimes assembly is required. Just two weeks ago, my family, um, we had the privilege of going down to California to get some sunshine and to uh, enjoy Legoland. We've got a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And so Legoland was uh, what they, man, we, we felt like it'd be a good fit for them. And, and sure enough, it was. We were able to uh, enjoy riding rides and we watched a 4D movie that the kids are still talking about. And uh, we had a great time. We brought some Washington weather with us though, because uh, we didn't want everybody at Legoland to think that, uh, you know, we don't see rain and, and all that all the time. Uh, but it was a great day. Lots of of fun. The kids still talking about it. Um, but the last thing that we did before leaving Legoland, and I think they do this on purpose, they, they bring you all the way through. And then at the end is this big store, right? Yeah, guys have been there. You know what I'm talking about. And so sure enough, it's like filled with people and their kids as kids are trying to, you know, uh, pick the Lego builds that they want to take home. And the girls had saved up some money. And so we let them purchase some Legos uh, that they could take home with them. And we got back to the Airbnb that night where we were staying and the first thing, man, before dinner, it was like, we're, we're taking out the Legos and we're gonna immediately start putting these, these Lego builds together. And as, a, as a, a father who grew up with Legos, you know, it was kind of nostalgic for me as I remembered my days of putting Lego sets together. And, and so I, what I could have done is gone to Lonnie and said, hey, Lonnie, uh, uh, I know what you want ultimately is for this to be put together. So I'm gonna just do it for you, okay? I'm gonna put all the Legos together and then I'll just give you the finished product. Is that what she would have wanted? 
Absolutely not. There's so much enjoyment and fun, right? In putting the Legos together to seeing it being uh, constructed. And, and, uh, and, but you know, what I could have also done is just let them do it. Let my seven-year-old and let my five-year-old figure it out on their own. Hey, here's the guidebook. Here's all the pieces. Now you put it together and figure it out, right? They're not quite at the age where they'd be able to do that. Now, maybe they'd get something remotely close. It's like nailed it, right? Where it's like, yeah, you know, we'll give it to you. Uh, you know, you didn't quite get exactly what it's supposed to look like, but you got close. They needed some of our help. And so Leah and I sat down and we began to kind of unpackage the pieces and go through the little booklet that tells you, here's, you know, step one and step two and, and all that. And what we would do is we would uh, gather the necessary pieces that they needed next and kind of lay them out. And then they would take them and put the pieces together and build the Legos. And I think sometimes that's how God works in our life. He doesn't give us all the pieces and say, all right, hey, you figure it out. But he has given us a guidebook. He has laid out the steps that we're to take. He has shown us what it is that we're supposed to do and the desired outcome for our lives. And then he gives us one piece at a time. Here's this situation. Here's this person that I want you to connect with. Here's this opportunity. Here's this decision that you have to make. You see, God in his sovereignty, he knows what is best for us, but he has yet still given us free will. The ability to choose for ourselves. You see, God doesn't make us love him. God doesn't make us do what he wants us to do. Oftentimes he lays out for us and then allows us to make the decision. He won't do our job for us. He won't be the one to forgive the person who wronged us. That's for us to do to take what God has given us, the pieces that he has entrusted us to put together ultimately what he wants for our lives. And so we see that principle here in this passage as God tells his people, hey, I'm going to provide for you, but you're gonna have to put a little effort in. I'm gonna provide for you, but you're gonna have to go out and you're gonna have to gather what's needed for you and your family. Let's continue reading and pick up in verse number 11 of Exodus 16. It says this, the Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. Verse 14, when the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because um, they didn't know what it was. And Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Jump over to verse 31. It gives us a little bit more here. It says, the house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed, was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. The word manna in Hebrew literally means, what is it? Or Please tell me what this is. Uh, literally like, uh, we have never seen this before. Don't have any idea what it is. Please tell me what this is. And many people have speculated on what it looked like, what it tasted like, or what it would resemble today. And so I asked some people this week, some experts in the area of manna. I said, what is uh, this in your mind? And some people said frosted flakes. Um, because I mean, it literally says that, right? Flakes on the desert floor. Um, I, I think uh, oftentimes what I think of in, in my mind is Nilla wafers. 
I'm like the little mini Nilla wafers, you know what I mean? Like I, that's just perfect in, in my opinion. Um, and then I got to thinking as I was kind of studying this uh, that I may have stumbled upon the answer this week as I was studying both about the quail and about the manna. Man, I think there may have been something here that resembles something that I love to have today. Um, I, I think God may have opened a quail filet restaurant um, in the desert, uh, because if you ever go to Chick-fil-A in the morning, they have those little chicken minis, you know, with the chicken and then the, the, the sweet bread uh, sandwich. I'm telling you, I think that's probably what God delivered uh, for the people of Israel right here is just a little quail and manna uh, sandwich. Uh, if you've never been to Chick-fil-A for breakfast, here's your opportunity. Go, go check it out. Um, but here we see what, how God provided for them. And not only did he provide for them, but th he provided for them in a very specific way. You see, the rest of the chapter, we won't actually read through it, but you can go ahead and, and read it. Maybe you have already on your own. It unpacks how they're supposed to gather and prepare the manna every day. It wasn't like God gave them a huge amount of manna for like the rest of the time they're gonna be in the wilderness. He gave them exactly what they needed for the day. You see, they weren't supposed to put it in Ziploc bags or in their freezer or in airtight containers. Or They weren't supposed to try to keep it because in fact, if they, if they did, if they tried to save it for the next day, it began to stink and it began to grow worms and it wasn't intended for that purpose. Every day the sun would melt whatever wasn't collected for that day. The only exception, like I mentioned, was on the Sabbath. The day before the Sabbath, they were to collect uh, for two days so they wouldn't have to collect on the Sabbath day. Once again, um, and, and as you read through here, you'll see people who, who maybe weren't listening, maybe weren't paying attention or who just decided, you know what? I know better than God. I'm gonna go out there and collect more than I need. And then they ended up, it stinking or they went out on the Sabbath day to try to collect it. It wasn't there. And so we, 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 Remember, we're to ask ourselves, why do we do those things, right? Why do we do those things like the children of Israel did? And it may be a bit harder for us to understand this, this idea about daily bread, right? Daily bread being delivered or food that we're supposed to, to, to uh, take every single day because, you know, we, we've got freezers. We buy things in bulk. We, you probably don't have, uh, you're not going to go to the store today and buy tonight's meal. You probably already have it, right? Uh, but in this day and age, daily bread was exactly a concept that they understood and what they needed. And I think spiritually speaking, we have to do the same thing for ourselves. We can't rely on bulk. We can't rely on a Sunday sermon. We can't rely on two messages a month to satisfy our spiritual needs. You see, God has given us the bread that we need every day. Jesus even actually told his disciples when he taught them to pray, he said, give us today our daily bread. You see, we're to go to God every single day for the food that we need spiritually. And this is the principle that we see here in this story. God says, I'm going to provide what you need today because I'm the same God who saved you I'm the same God who sustains you through this journey called life. Exodus 17, as we continue on, this is now the third story we're gonna look at today in Exodus 17 and verse one. The Israelite community left the wilderness of Sin, moving from one place to the next. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So once again, we find a similar situation, right? There are all these people and nothing to drink. So the people... Well, once again, they complained to Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said, why are you complaining to me? Why are you testing 
the Lord. But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. Moses is literally fearing for his life, thinking that this mob is gonna take over. And then verse number five, the Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. And when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the, pe- the, the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, and notice this, here's what they said. Is the Lord among us or not? So here we see another example, another opportunity. The people have forgotten what God has done already. And now God has to show himself again. He has to sustain them once again with a miraculous form of blessing. And, and the question here that I, that I see that, that strikes me as is, is interesting is the question at the end. It says, is the Lord among us or not? Like as if the series sweeping set of 10 plagues wasn't enough. Like the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army and the angel of death passing over the firstborn and the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and, and the bitter water that was made as if any of those things weren't enough. And yet we oftentimes lose sight of God's presence in our own lives. Do we not? Is the Lord still among us? Is, is God still moving in our midst? Don't you realize that he has done for you and is doing for you? As we see here in these verses, is in this story, God has done for the people of Israel. He has done amazing things and he will continue to do those things. And it, it, it's interesting that they, in their, in their minds, they continue kind of reverting back or thinking back to their time in Egypt right? The good old days and and how great it was in Egypt and how amazing it was. And we had all this stuff in Egypt, but we often do that, don't we? We forget about, we we think good old days and we forget about all the bad things that happened in the good old days, right? And we just focus on the things that we thought were good, but let's be honest, they weren't actually that great. Sometimes we have a tendency to focus on the good of Egypt, but we forget how evil it really was. There, there wasn't a lot of great things happening there. And sometimes we fail to see how God is working today or wanting to work in our lives because we're constantly comparing today to yesterday, constantly comparing what we see happening in today's life and our story with what's happening right now with what we feel like he did before. And what you're missing is We're so focused on a victory or a loss from yesterday that we miss what God wants to do today. What the the provision, the sustaining that God wants to do in our lives today, we miss that because we're so focused on what was and what he did. And so God is trying to get his people to understand that he gives grace and strength for today. The same God that saves us is the same God who sustains us. He is the same God. And he has the same power. He has the same ability today as he did 
back then. I truly believe that God wants to do uh, miracles in your life. He wants to provide in your life and do the same things that he did here for the people of Israel to show them that he is the God of miracles. In Exodus 17, verse eight, we continue on another example, another opportunity, another story. And here we see the children of Israel uh, there in the place of Rephidim. In verse number eight, Amalek came and fought against Israel. And so, man, this journey from the Red Sea to Sinai is just full of ups and downs, highs and lows from one thing to the next thing. Uh, They go three days without water and then they discover bitter water and then God makes it better by uh, the the tree that's thrown in there. And then they get hangry and they start grumbling and then God delivers quail and manna. I mean, just up and down, high and low, no water to drink at Rephidim. And then there's water springing forth from the rock of Horeb. I mean, all of these things taking place. And then to just top it off, hey, God says, you know, here's, here's a battle <laughs> that you have to fight, right? Here's, here's an army coming against you. Just when you, don't, when you think things can't get any worse, they, they do. There's another opportunity here to rely on our own strength, to rely on our own power, or to rely upon God and what he can do through us. And so Moses says to Joshua in verse number nine, select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, They took a stone and put it under him and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other, uh, and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. And here's what I want us to see from this short little story here as we continue moving through these stories is that the spiritual war we are engaged in, the spiritual battle that we are a part of is subtle, but it's strong especially for those of us who've just maybe started out in this faith journey. We think, man, everything's gonna be great from here on out. God's gonna give me blessing. God's gonna provide for me. I'm never gonna have to have a worry or a care or a concern in this life, right? Not right. (laughs) God is there though to sustain us, to strengthen us for the battle that we are involved in. And the enemy wants nothing more than to derail your faith before you get started. The enemy wants to do nothing more than to take you out and to discourage you, uh, to, to, uh, to make you depressed, to think that you're, that you're all by yourself and that you can't win this fight. And God wants to be there to sustain you and strengthen you for that battle because that same grace is there for you. God ultimately here in this story is the one who gives victory. And, and Moses even declares that at the end of the chapter, I think in verse 15, Moses builds an altar and names it, the Lord is my banner. Moses says, God is the one who gave us the victory in this battle. But here's what I want us to see is that everybody has a part to play. And in the spiritual battle that we are involved in, we have a part to play in that battle. God is ultimately the one who will give the victory. And God is the one who fights our battles for us. But yet he still commands us in Ephesians to take up 
the armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And and we see that in Ephesians chapter six and verse number 12, it says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. We see here that we are engaged in a spiritual battle and a spiritual conflict and God is going to give the victory, but he wants us to fight. Joshua and the, the army was down on the battlefield and with sword in hand fighting the battle. And at the same time, Moses was on the hillside uh, interceding on their behalf, right? He was doing what he had to do while the armies did what they had to do. And every single one of us has a part to play in maybe, maybe it's supporting someone else as they go through a battle. Maybe it's fighting our own battle ourselves and, and praying for God to give us the victory. The truth is, is that we're in a battle and God is our banner. And so we must take on his armor and pray for him to give us the victory. We see that everybody has a part to play. And we actually see that reinforced here in the next story that we'll look at as we speed through and go to Exodus chapter 18. Diana did such a great job reading through how Jethro visited Moses. Jethro is Moses's father-in-law. He comes to pay him a visit and Moses begins to uh, share with him about how God has rescued them from the Egyptians and, and carried them through and sustained them through this journey in the desert. And then Later on in, in the chapter, we see it, it must be take your father-in-law to work day um, because uh, Jethro comes with Moses to work. And we, we pick up in verse 13. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, what is this you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? He's like, bro, what are you doing? Right? Like I'm, I'm watching you work all day long, man. And it's, it's not effective. It's not working out. And you're, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to burn all the people out. And he literally tells him that uh, in verse number 17, he says, what you're doing is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it on your own. And I feel like we all need people in our lives who will give us that unsolicited advice, (laughs) right? Somebody that we trust, yes. Somebody that has relationship with us, okay. Uh, But somebody who who can be blunt and tell us what we need to hear. And Jethro was that person for Moses. He, he, he begins to help him understand some of the deficiencies and and inefficient systems that that he's using. And, And for those of you who are like me, who have control issues, that want to be a part of every conversation and we want to be involved in every decision and we want to be in every meeting and we want to do everything that we can. Sometimes we have to learn to let go and know that my daughter isn't going to do the dishes exactly the way that I would do the dishes and probably not even as good, but I need to let her do the dishes sometimes, right? It's good to let go and to empower other people to do things that we think only we can do. And this is one of the best leadership lessons that I've learned and something that I'm I'm consistently trying to practice. 
And that is letting go of things that I think only I can do and somebody else can probably do them better. Somebody else can probably take that and make it better than I can. And that's what Jethro encourages Moses to do here is to identify and empower other leaders to help what, what he has on his shoulders, thinking that he's the only one who can do this. Jethro says, you need to find some other people. Look what it says in verse 19. Jethro says, now listen to me. I will give you some advice and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people, able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and 10. Jethro tells Moses, hey, Moses, you need to only do what only you can do and let other people help you. Let other people come alongside you. Empower other people to help you lead this nation. And I think there's a lot that can be said about this principle here that we see in Exodus 18. But let me say briefly what I love the plurality of leadership that we have here at Highlands Community Church. I love that we have a board of elders, a team of elders who come alongside and help care for and counsel with and, and lead this congregation. I love that we have a, a large number of staff who are able to help uh, take on a lot of the, the administration and the pressures and, and, the, and the work that has to go in. And I love that we have a group of deacons and deaconesses who serve the church in many ways to shepherd and care for people. Listen, we couldn't do it without all of you who lead in those capacities. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for allowing us as pastors and elders to focus on the ministry of prayer and the word as we see in scripture. We literally could not do it without you. We see here this principle in Exodus 18. And as we wrap up today, I want, you, I want to point you to the person in our lives who will ultimately and completely meet our needs. You see, we are the children of Israel. We are in this newfound freedom, this new life outside of Egypt, outside of sin and death as we walk with him, we've been made new. We're going to have circumstances and situations that come in our life that we can't control. We're going to come across things that are bitter. We're gonna face battles in our life. We're gonna have ups and downs. And there are going to be opportunities for God to show and reveal his grace to us, to sustain and strengthen us. And ultimately that is found in one person and his name is Jesus. Jesus is ultimately the one that's going to sustain us, that's going to strengthen us as we walk through this life, as we continue on this journey, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God that he was in the wilderness as he is today. And very quickly, I want us to see Jesus in these stories. So the first story that we saw was uh, something that needed healing, water that needed healing. And in John chapter five, we see Jesus by a pool of water. And there were some people there who needed to be healed. And so Jesus goes up to one man who is there for a very long time. And he says, do you want to get well? The man says, yes, and Jesus heals that man in John chapter five and verse seven through nine, because he is the healer. Jesus is the one who heals. He is the one that can take what is broken and mend it. 
He can take what is bitter and make it better. Jesus is our healer. And then the second story, the need that we saw was this need of food and specifically daily food, daily bread. After feeding over 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish, the next day crowds came looking for Jesus again because they wanted him to meet this physical need that they had for food. And Jesus said, beyond the need for food, what you have is a need for a food that won't run out, a food that will last, the bread of life, a need that only I can meet for you because I am the bread of life. We see that in John chapter six, verses 26 through 35, Jesus is the bread of life. We think we know what we need. We think we know that we need something and we go to all of these places looking to fill it. And Jesus is the only one who can completely satisfy that need that we have because he is the bread of life. In the third story, we saw how God's people were in need of water. And in John chapter four, Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman at the well, the hottest part of the day. And he asks her for a drink. And she's kind of taken back by that, that this Jewish man would ask her for a drink. And, and, and he says in reply to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask of me and I would give you living water. You see, because Jesus is the living water. He is the water that satisfies our need. It saves us and it sustains us. In the fourth story, we see a war in the wilderness, the war with Amalek. And the desert was not a friendly place. It was a place of battle. It was a place of, of, of weariness, a place of discouragement. And just like that for us, this world is not our home. It's just a place we're passing through. And Jesus says in John 16, 33, uh, he says that he is gonna be the one to overcome the world because Jesus is our conqueror. He says that we shouldn't worry about what's going to happen in this life because he has overcome. He is the conqueror. He is the one. The Lord is our banner. He will be the one uh, to fight for us. And in the final story today, we saw Moses's need was that of counsel. And I'm so grateful that God, in his grace, Jesus promised that a counselor would come when he leaves. We see that in John chapter 14 and verse 26, that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. You see, Jesus gives us everything we need in this life. He saved us. He brought us through the Red Sea. He conquered sin and death. And then he didn't just leave us to figure out how to build this Lego set on our own. But he sustains us. He strengthens us. He gives us the pieces that we need. He gives us the guidebook and he gives us his spirit to guide us into all truth because he wants what's best for us. He sent his spirit as our guide. We see from these stories and we look at our own life, we have an opportunity, we have a, we have a choice. We can choose uh, to accept the principles that we see in scripture and we can choose to follow uh, the, the, the outline that God has given us. And we can 
receive the sustaining strength of the Lord, or we can try to figure it out on our own. But the same grace that saves us is the same grace that sustains and strengthens us. So what will you choose? To rely on God or to rely on yourself? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, as we read these stories, it's so easy to point a finger at the Israelites and ask, why would they have that perspective? Or why would they have that attitude? Why would they so easily forget? And yet, God, we do the same thing. We so easily forget your promises are true. Your provision is here. Your presence is with us. And so, God, we come to you today as your people. Lord, we humbly confess that we get it wrong. And yet, we know and we see from today that you ultimately are the one to sustain us. You have saved us. You've brought us out of sin and death. And yet, you still give us what we need to continue walking in your presence. God, I pray for those who are here in this room today. God, I don't know what they've brought with them as far as a burden or a struggle or a circumstance in their life, but you do, you know what it is and you know what they need. I pray that they would come to you in faith, believing that God, you can heal. God, that you are our daily bread, that you are the living water, that you are the conqueror, the overcomer of this world. And ultimately, Jesus, you've sent your spirit to guide us. So we ask now that you would guide us into all truth and help us to continue walking with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing?